you're at all acquainted with any form of Christian art, um, images, paintings, or Christian music, like we have in our hymnal, if you start flipping through it, you might get the impression, at least in the art that is most often sung and seen in modern America, you might get the impression that Jesus is there primarily to pick me up when I'm feeling down, to watch out for me when I'm not watching out for myself, and heaven forbid that anything such as trial or suffering come my way because Jesus better be there to rescue me from it. And then you get to the Gospel of Mark. And if you were to start reading through the Gospel of Mark, um, which for me, that's part of my daily Bible reading, at least right now. You start reading through the Gospel of Mark, and you get a completely different picture, not just the image of Jesus the Good Shepherd cradling the lamb, but the image of Jesus the warrior defending his people. When you read through the Gospel of Mark, you look at it, and it begins with a bang, with John the Baptist saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. When he shows up, when Christ shows up, he's going to clear his threshing floor with fire. Oh, boy. John the Baptist ends up in prison. And then Jesus takes over with the preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And he goes to that synagogue in Capernaum like we heard about last week. And if last week made you a little uncomfortable because we were talking about demons and demons, demon possession, <laughs> just wait. There's more. He goes to the synagogue in Capernaum, and you might remember from last week, there's that guy with the unclean spirit, the one who is demon-possessed, and he cries out, what do you want with us? I know who, who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus casts out the demon, and church is done for the day. Their church was on Saturday, the Sabbath day, and then everybody went home for the day, although the word spread like wildfire in the town of Capernaum. After church was done for the day, Simon, uh, Simon Peter and Andrew said, you know what, we live here. Um, Simon's mother-in-law is living with us. His dad passed away, and she's feeling kind of under the weather, but um, you know, we can still have you over for lunch and host you for a while. And Jesus walks in, heals her of the illness, the sickness. We don't know how long it was hanging on, but if you've ever, ever had one of those where it just hangs on for a couple of weeks and you can't, <laughs> you can't kick it, well, imagine that. Jesus raises her up from her sickbed, and then she, in return, wants to host, demonstrate some hospitality. And meanwhile, all throughout the town of Capernaum, the word has been passing. Did you see what happened at church today? Oh, you missed it. You weren't there. Let me tell you. The word has been passing from person to person. And in, as you're reading through the Gospel of Mark, it looks like the main thing that we've got is this image of Jesus who is like a soldier, absolutely kicking the devil's butt all the way to chapter 6. Driving out demons left and right. He doesn't let them speak. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. I command you, come out. All the way to chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, the, what we call the Gerasene demoniac. The man infested, infected with a legion of demons. Perhaps you remember that. They can't bind him with chains. Handcuffs don't work. Those zip tie things that the army uses, that doesn't work either. Um, and Jesus casts all the demons out. They rush into this herd of pigs, and if you want any insight into that invisible battle of the spirit world, 
in their disorderliness, they rushed down the bank and drowned the pigs. <laughs> Floating bacon, not my idea of a good idea. And it looks, like, it looks like the image we should have of Jesus is, number one, here is Jesus ready to totally demolish the devil's work, to unravel all the pain that he, that he brings. Here is Jesus ready to advance the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven advances forcefully. And exactly as one of the epistles later puts it, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And in the Gospel of Mark, that's exactly what it looks like. Here is Jesus driving out demons left and right all the way to Mark chapter 6. Same thing happened that, that Sunday night. They had, they had brunch after church that day and at sundown, which is the end of the Sabbath day. The entire town is coming. And they don't just all come in a wave. It's wave after wave. They keep on coming late into the night. And Jesus heals sin and disease and sickness and injury. He drives out demons and he helps. He fixes. He brings daily bread back into the people's lives. He makes it possible for them to enjoy their daily bread once again. I chuckle at uh, the way Luther put it in the fourth petition. After that entire paragraph-long sentence, he's like, oh yeah, and everything else that I left out. Daily bread includes everything we need for our bodily welfare, food and drink, clothing and shoes, house and home. He gets to the end and he's like, oh yeah, and everything else that I left out. And that's what Jesus is bringing. Like, here's the battle. Here's the battle of um, the devil and all of his demons are just like running rampant. And they're there in the synagogue. Jesus came to that which was his own, yet his own did not receive him from the Gospel of John. Or the Gospel of Mark puts it, while Jesus comes preaching, he goes to the place where he ought to be found. He goes to the place where they're having worship, and the devil is right there. Then he leaves, and he goes to the individual home, and there they come again. And Jesus, the warrior, wins again and again and again. It looks marvelous. It looks awesome. And it's like, wow, don't we wish that, that we could have that same sort of power, like a visible display of power right now, right here. And the whole town is coming. And, and the disciples are probably thinking, you know, Jesus hasn't had a time to, to stop. He's got this line of people that still want to see him. And some of them are being really loud and unruly. Do we have crowd management? Do we need some people with, um, you know, mark a little uh, rope where they can all stand in line in an orderly queue? What do we do? Finally, late at night, the crowd has been taken care of and disperses. Jesus catches maybe a bit of a snack and collapses, and he's tired. And he gets up the next morning, and here's the interesting part. He gets up the next morning while it's still dark out, so thinking like 6, 6.30 this time of year maybe, maybe a little bit earlier, and he goes off to a solitary place to pray. Back of the house, as the other disciples start waking up, they're like, shh, shh, he had a long day yesterday. You should let him sleep. And finally, when it's like 9 o'clock, almost time for lunch, Jesus, where are you? Oh, he's not in there. They go and find him. And they've been thinking and talking all morning. They've been thinking and talking. 
what do we need? We need, we need a plan. We need some way to deal with these people. We need to collect their, their names and addresses and, and numbers, <laughs> email addresses, if email were a thing at that point. Um, we need to find some way to get them involved in ministry. Maybe we need uh, a group or another, um, another way to say, hey, you can, you can participate in this. And they've got dreams and ideas of how the kingdom of God can advance from Capernaum. And Jesus, when they finally find him, Jesus says, oh, that's great, but we got to go. Got to go from Capernaum, this town of, I don't know, 300, 400. You know that little burg up the way that is barely a, barely a blip on the map? You know, the kind of place where you find by uh, turn, white, turn right where the Jones's barn used to be, like that kind of a place. Maybe they have a stop sign. That's where I have to go. And then there's another area past that. And you shake your head. Why? Because here they are, and Jesus has had some incredible success that the demons run screaming except for the fact that he doesn't let them speak. He has had some incredible success where the people are coming and they're going home not just healed from their ills, but they're going home with the word that they heard. And they're going home and the word is starting to travel and spread. And instead of Jesus saying, here's the place and, and now is the time, he says, we have to go. Why? I love that image of, of Jesus as the warrior. And I think, um, I think it's a little bit better of an image for the Christian church than just the Jesus who picks you up when you're feeling down. But there's more to it than that. That Jesus had done a great thing in the healing and the driving out. But he says, I have a greater thing to do. This is what he says um, at the end of verse 38. Let's go somewhere else to the neighboring villages so that I can preach there too. Huh? <laughs> Jesus, time out, time out, time out. I saw that guy. They carried him in, four of them, or she came in on a wheelchair, and they both went home running and skipping and jumping, not just a little healed, like completely healed. He came in... Um, not able to talk, at least not in intelligible human language, and it was really scary, and it was intimidating, and all you did was you spoke sternly to that demon, and they were gone. And why are we moving on when you have such powerful deeds that you can do? Why do you say we have to go somewhere else where there aren't as many people so that you can talk? Proclamation words. I have to go to that little village that is um, just a blip on the map because I have to preach there too. And you might get the impression, reading the book of Mark, that it's all about Jesus, the warrior, driving out demons, culminating to this beautiful face-off, this incredible face-off that is still intimidating, even when you read it in Mark chapter 6, of Jesus and the garrison demoniac who can't be bound hand and foot with chain. He is screaming, and he is out of his mind, quite literally. And then Jesus wins. Jesus casts the spirits out into the pigs. All the people come to him and say, please leave, because that was too much. All the people of the region came to Jesus and said, you should really get out of here because 
You did something with your word that we couldn't do with our might. And the Gerasene demoniac, the man who had been previously possessed, says, Jesus, just let me come with you. Let me come with you. I know what you did for me. I know the extent of my suffering and how much I have been relieved from that. And Jesus turned and said to him, instead of saying, hey, I got space for one more. We'll make 12 and even Baker's dozen, 13. He said, go back and tell your family and friends how much the Lord has done for you. And you keep reading. Because up until that point, you're thinking, warrior Jesus, winning the battle against the devil, facing down at every single point and every single instance, and Jesus wins, and it just gets more and more and more until Jesus says, go back and tell your family or friends how much Jesus has done for you. And when Jesus comes back in Mark chapter 7 or 8, when he comes back, the people who had kicked him out of their region in terror now crowd the shores. And it seems like the time of his ministry when he did the most miracles, the streets are crowded to ju- for people to just touch the hem of his cloak that they might be healed. And that shows us the real theme of Jesus' ministry and of the Gospel of Mark. That yes, the, the visible, the powerful, the mighty of Jesus' um, healing disease, of Jesus' fixing paralysis, of Jesus driving out demons. All those things are mighty and awesome and great. But he says the greater thing is his proclamation, his words. So that when he says to his disciples, they come to him at the end of our reading, they come to him and they're like, hey, we're, we're, we're all set to set up shop and this is the place, this is the time right here, right now. And Jesus says, I have to go to somewhere else so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. When he goes on, he hasn't left them without his power, without himself, without his presence. You realize that, right? This is the last little tangent, I suppose. It's not really a tangent. That when the Son of God became incarnate, he didn't stop being God. Like we know that. We understand that, I think. (laughs) When the Son of God became incarnate, he didn't stop being God, which means that Jesus Christ did not stop being omnipresent, present everywhere. He did not stop being almighty. He did not stop being all-knowing. During his ministry, he chose for a time to not use all of his power, and he chose for a time to not know things like the Day of Judgment, but he didn't stop having those things. And so when Jesus goes on and says, you know, I did some great things here in Capernaum, driving out demons and healing the sick, and he says, "Um, we have to go somewhere else, he isn't leaving Capernaum empty, like a spiritual vacuum, like he cleaned house and now he's got to get out of here. He's leaving them with his words. He's leaving them with his power. He's leaving them so that he can extend his proclamation somewhere else. That among all the great things that he did, the greater is what he said. Among all the great things that he did, the greater is what he said because that saying would go on to what he would do. Unraveling the devil's work in its entirety. Not just, not just healing people who were possessed by demons, but rescuing people who had been enslaved in sin. And so you know what? Jesus still does the same thing today. That even though he, he withdrew his visible presence, because Jesus is still 
entirely God and is present everywhere. And when he ascended into heaven, he did that so that believers everywhere would know with confidence that Jesus is here because he isn't, you know, over there, over there, over there, but he is here exactly as he said. When Jesus ascended into heaven and withdrew his visible presence, he still does the same work that he was doing in Capernaum and in the one stoplight town just up the road and in Lucas County or Wood County or Monroe County, whatever it is up there. <laughs> because Jesus still works through his powerful word. And that word does miracles. And he still accomplishes miracles, such as bringing healing when the doctors say there's no chance. That word still accomplishes miracles by bringing comfort when it looks like, you know, a Christian has passed away and all is loss and all is despair and all is grief, that through his word he still brings comfort that this believer is now in heaven. And through that same word, the, uh, the demons who were vanquished on Good Friday and when Jesus came back alive again and descended into, into hell in victory, they were eyewitnesses, the first eyewitnesses of the resurrection. That same Jesus is present with his word to accomplish the exact same miracles, both the great ones and the greater one. The great miracles such as driving out demons and healing according to his time and in his best way, great things, greater things. Like one of my favorites was um, like the last week and a half or so, we've had, we've had three baptisms, one of whom is here today actually. <laughs> we've had three baptisms. One was, um, well, actually two were, two were at homes um, for babies and, uh, and then one was also here. Um, all of them were babies, obviously. And even though heaven didn't open and we didn't hear like an audible voice from God saying, this is my beloved child, the greater miracle happened, that Jesus cleaned house, that Jesus gave spiritual life and resurrection, that Jesus drove out the devil and took up residence. He didn't just drive out the devil and leave it all set up and say, okay, good luck, now you're on your own, but he creates faith. He creates faith, and you, know how, you notice how Jesus does it, that he leaves the main gathering where he was to be found, the synagogue, and he goes to the individual. He goes from the gathering of people to the private home. And that Jesus chooses to work primarily, not with the massive crowds, but through one by one. One by one who, who need to hear what Jesus has to say, who need the grace that is the undeserved love for sinners that Jesus has to offer, who need the certainty of the sacraments that Jesus alone gives. And frankly, you know, I said in our Facebook group that um, among all the fun things that I get to do as a pastor, baptism is probably, is, is definitely number one. And then everything else is fun, <laughs> everything else is fun until you get to, to the administration things like, like writing bulletins and uh, writing reports and submitting statistics, that part isn't fun. But baptizing, <laughs> I'll do that all day, every day. Why? Because there, you see the promises of God brought to bear on an individual life again. Not necessarily, you know, in the congregation of the man standing up and back and saying, I know who you are, but the individual. 
who is comforted with the promise of Jesus as he or she is on the sickbed or perhaps what will be their deathbed. The individual who um, doesn't know English yet um, and is only a few days or a few weeks or a few months old, but that individual who is clothed with the righteousness of Christ and now watched over, not just as Jesus cuddling the little lamb, but Jesus who protects as the warrior king. Jesus who protects because he has extended his kingship, his kingdom, to one more. And so you look at the Gospel of Mark, and if you haven't read it in a while, well, after you finish your current book or wherever you are, uh, just take it up, give it a look, and you'll see. You'll see the great things that Jesus does, driving out demons and healing the sick, but then you'll notice the greater things that Jesus did and does and still does of the proclamation, forgiveness of sins, life, salvation, safety, in the arms of the warrior king. Amen. Yeah.